Three years. It's been three solid years since we've been watching Lori Vallow-Daybell in court. Smirking, smiling, grinning, joking, being jovial, and pretty much acting like she's above everybody else, in my opinion. But this week, something very different happened in court, in her trial. Was it fake or was it real? We're going to discuss that today and we're going to talk about the information so far in the trial. So now, let's get into it. First, before I get into the information, we have Larry Woodcock that had his birthday. I believe it was on the 12th, so happy birthday, Larry. Also, Rob Wood was on Tuesday the 11th, I believe. That was also my birthday. And it was also Landon Hyatt's birthday from the Gannon Stout case. So we have a lot of birthdays this week, and we just want to wish a happy birthday to everybody right down below. Now, we're going to get into the trial, and it has been pretty bananas so far. We have Letitia Stokes' trial. That started last week, and she's in week two in this one. And then we also have Lori Daybell, and then we also have the West trial. I am doing my best to catch up. I'm listening to everything at two times speed so that I can bring concise information to you. So first we start off with opening statements with the prosecution, Lindsay Blake coming up and she starts talking about basically motive, what everything was about in this case. She said this was about money, power, and sex. She said that Lori used these or the promise of those things to get what she wanted. I'm gonna read my notes. I'm not as polished today as my normal videos because we're gonna try and get in as much information as we can to you. She says, it didn't matter what obstacle if it was a thing or a person to Lori. It was interesting the take that Lindsay did. She said, Tylee had money, Lori wanted it, Tylee's gone. She said, JJ took time and he also lost his father. When he lost his father, he became much more difficult to care for. He was entitled to social security benefits. The defendant didn't want to have to take care of JJ anymore. He had money, JJ's gone. He said, Tammy had life insurance policy. Lori wanted Chad all to herself, Tammy's gone. And then she talked about Tylee's remains. And she says, you'll hear it describes a massive bone and tissue. That's what was left of this beautiful young woman, the defendant's daughter. Her DNA was found on a pickaxe and a shovel later located on a shed on Chad's property. He said JJ was found and appears in a black plastic bag wrapped in plastic. And she briefly touched on, in her opening statement, she briefly touched on uh, the castings that Chad and Lori and crew, I guess you could say, would do on people that uh, was dark. Remember they had the rubric. For those of you who've never seen it, they have a light and dark rubric. They rated people as dark and light. But Lindsay Blake says the defendant used casting that involved prayer and energy work. Often this casting didn't work and the beliefs evolved into zombies. A common theme was the body had to be destroyed. Alex's purpose, meaning Alex Cox, Lori's brother, was to protect Lori. He was a warrior and that was his job and that Alex would do anything for Lori. She made one little comment that was very important. She said when Alex first moved to Rexburg, because he followed her there, he texted Lori and set the Wi-Fi password to too many kids and Lori responds as funny. So we're gonna hear all these little details. It is gonna be important. Obviously the truth is in the details. Lindsay also talked about Tammy Daybell, that she died at the hands of another and died of asphyxiation. He, she says, after Tammy died, Alex Cox said, I hope I'm not their fall guy, referring to they as Chad and Lori. Alex died the next day after he said that. And that was actually a day after Tammy was exhumed. There's so many parts to this story that basically took me three years to talk about. <laughs> it could take me another three. Let's go to the defense. 
this is going to be a little painful, I think, the next however 10 weeks it's going to be. Archibald says the evidence will show Lori was a kind and loving mother. The evidence will show Lori had an interest in religion, especially the end of time. Some people could care less about it, he says, about biblical prophecies, and some people care a lot. He's talking about basically saying, did she kill or did she assist or did she encourage or did she command? They, the prosecutors, aren't sure what happened, but they want you to be sure. So he goes on and on. Now, the thing about the defense team so far from what I've been hearing is a lot of objections, a lot of them. To the point where it's like, come on. I get that there's going to be objections. You can let me know your thoughts below, but I feel like it is an extraordinary amount and it's before the prosecution even gets to say what they're saying or asking. And even you can hear the judge go, well, no, wait a minute. Can you just back up a little bit and let them talk? So that's been going on in court a lot. Kay Woodcock took the stand. She talked about JJ. She talked about when JJ was born and that Kay has a son that uh, wasn't able to care for JJ. They had some issues. So JJ was then adop adopted out. Well, actually Kay and Larry took care of JJ for the first seven months of his life, I believe it was. And then Charles and Lori went and they adopted JJ. So she talked about that. She worked her way up to when uh, before Charles was killed that Kay went to go take care of JJ while Charles was working because Lori just took off and that's around the time when Lori decided to steal Charles's truck, stole some money, you know, all this and that. There's a lot of manipulations that happened. Took Charles, like everything that Charles owned and right down to his underwear. So, I mean, these are the manipulations of Lori. Don't let her fool you. Kay also talked about the last time that she talked to JJ and that was through FaceTime. We've heard that through many of my videos that there was a last call that lasted under 45 seconds and basically JJ just saying, you know, hi to his grandma and grandpa and bye and then that was it. And she said it was odd because the last few times was kind of like that usually JJ would run around and talk to his grandparents and you know hold an iPad or whatever and they laughed because they could usually see you know the ceiling and um, <laughs> instead of JJ but the last few times it was this somebody was holding it so this is very interesting and uh, um, really showing that there's been a change in demeanor right then it was really interesting they talked about how Kay found Charles, there he is right there in the picture, um, how she found some information on Lori. And this was after Charles was murdered. He was murdered in July of 2019. And then Lori and Alex moved to Rexburg and also her niece, Melanie Pulowski. And then the children were murdered. And it had been a few months since Kay heard from JJ and she was wondering what's going on. She's, you know, asking Lori to call her and all these things. And then she said she had received a scanner of some sort from Charles. She didn't really do anything with it for the first few months. And then she wanted to set it up. So she set it up. She was a little frustrated, went to bed and 4.30 in the morning, she woke up and she put the scanner on and it, she said it was divine intervention almost that she saw something, I believe it was like a Google account. She got in there and saw the Amazon account of, um, I guess a purchase on Charles's credit card. We know that from previous. And she saw that there was a transaction and, you know, things like Lori's wedding dress was bought, uh, her Malachite rings were bought, and also Chad's wedding attire. And this actually occurred before Tammy Daybell died. 
So she made the purchase in early October, and I believe it was October 2nd, which is the same day that Brandon Boudreaux, his life was, uh, had an attempt made on his life. So that was that same day, and that was before Tammy died, and they, meaning Tammy and Chad, were still married. So I uh, love that they brought that up in court, super important, obviously. So they went through that process of, you know, February when Kay was looking after JJ in those few months while Lori took a hiatus and went to Hawaii and all these other things. And then also, you know, the transition to um, Lori moving a little bit to Houston. Charles moved to Houston as well. This is a lot of information. This is three years up in here, so just bear with me. You know, Charles moved to Houston. He was working. This way, Kay could also help and then come and visit while Charles goes to work. Lori very briefly moved back to Houston. They were trying to get back together, but Lori had a plan. That was according to Lori. She said she had a plan. She had to go and get some things. I think it was financial information figured out. So she went back there and then they split. She goes back to Arizona and then Charles gets a place for Lori so that she can live with the kids. And uh, Charles was just traveling back and forth. Then obviously he was murdered in July. The next witness they brought up was Brandon Boudreaux. Brandon walked them through the day that he had his attempt made on his life on October 2nd. They talked about the Jeep and the Jeep was actually owned by Charles, but Tylee drove it. And the authorities had to go find this Jeep after this attempt made because Charles was gone. Tylee was gone. The authorities didn't know that quite yet. And, but they were going to look for this Jeep. They ended up finding the Jeep in Rexburg, Idaho. And then uh, they didn't know that the kids were missing. We, we heard from Detective Hermesio, who's been on the case for since the beginning. And he was talking about going to look for this Jeep. Didn't know yet that the children were missing. Finds out because Kay, in November, after she finds this Amazon information, contacts detectives, and then the welfare check for JJ happens. They find that JJ's missing, and then they also find out Tylee's also missing. While Brandon Boudreaux was on the stand, you could hear he was upset throughout. They were talking about JJ. Brandon ended up being the one to identify JJ and his remains. And um, he had traveled to Rexburg to do that along with Kay and Larry. It's been crazy pants pretty much to say what happened to Brandon as well. It was really odd in the timeline. I've done videos on Melanie Pulowski before, AKA Melanie Boudreaux. And around the same time that crap was ha hitting the fan with Lori accusing Charles of cheating, even though Lori's the one who was cheating, Melanie Pulowski was doing something similar and had blamed Brandon Boudreaux uh, for being gay and uh, all these other things. So it was really interesting in the timing. And he talked a little bit about Melanie and how she never really was religious, but then, you know, over time, starting in that 2019, 2018, 2019, that she started getting more and more into, you know, preppers and, uh, or prepping for, you know, the end of times and spending 10 thousand dollars on that and supplies and then just starting to act really different. Now day two started to get pretty interesting. Detective Ray Hermosillo was on the stand and he talked about two things. One, finding the kids in Chad Daybell's yard and also a search of Lori's apartment and Melanie's and Alex Cox. When he was on the stand, he talked about investigating November 1st about the Jeep, as I mentioned. But he was also talking about doing surveillance of Lori 
and they said they watched Lori and Chad but didn't see any kids. Uh, one of the things is he also mentioned that Lori got married on November 5th in Hawaii and that was only two weeks after Tammy Daybell died. And then he said he heard the, the kids were missing. So they went through that. One of the things was they were asking Alex if he knew Lori's phone number and he said he didn't, which is a crocky you know what. And, and the, the detectives knew at this point that Lori was also married and that they knew a little bit of the dynamics between Chad and Alex living there. Alex actually quit his job to go there, so they know a few things by this point. But Alex was lying saying, I don't know. And then Chad also said, I don't know her phone number, which is a crock. And he actually later admitted it, that, that he knew her phone number. But, and he tried to flee, even though John Pryor is always like, oh, you know, Chad doesn't flee. He flees every single time, pretty much. So when Detective Hermesio asked Alex, do you know where JJ is? He said no, and he said there was a blank look on his face. He said that raised some red flags, and Chad said the same thing. But he said, uh, Alex said that JJ was with Kay in Louisiana, and they both looked at each other, meaning Alex and Chad, and the detective was like, well, that, that's impossible because... Uh, Kay's the one who phoned for the welfare check. But they said that Lori was in apartment 107, which is 107 is the apartment that was absolutely empty. Now I did a video way, way, way back and talked about apartment 107. You can check that out below or at the end of this video or even in my playlist. And I talked about this 107. Uh, we know more information now. They. They also went back to 107, knocked on the door, no answer. But this Detective Hermesio called Detective Ron Ball, said, something's going on, I need you to come over here. And we heard video, or I should say audio, a while back about D Detective Ball and Hope asking Lori a bunch of questions. That's when she was saying, no, no, um, you know, JJ's with my friend in Arizona and he's watching Frozen 2. And side note, it was wintertime and those kids were buried underneath, under frozen, under frozen ground. Nice one, Lori. Uh, the, these types of things happen throughout with their stupid comments, just like Chad Daybell saying that he shot a raccoon and buried in the pet cemetery fun times. Uh, that's true story. So on the stand, the detective talked about the search warrant of 175, which is where Lori was living. They had to break down the front door. They said they found, you know, the couches were there, dishes were in the sink, there's food in the pantry, toiletries, but no clothes on the hangers. And there were just empty closets. Just the hangers were there, just no clothes. Um, but he said 107 was completely vacant. They saw some toys on the step that would belong to JJ or assumed, and that there was a little boy suitcase under the stairs. They found an old prescription of Risperidone for JJ. And also, this is where it was interesting. They found several guns in the garage, different army type knives, and several magazines um, for the weapons. And they also talked about a mask. And we heard about a mask way, way, way back. They were talking about uh, a mask being bought. I remember that was on Annie Cushing's uh, timeline. She has an awesome timeline on her website. That was talked about and also was talked about from Tammy Daybell. I don't know if it's the same mask, but Tammy Daybell talked about somebody who's coming up with a paintball gun and that backfired, but she said somebody had a mask on, so I wonder if that's it, could be. They talked a little bit about the storage unit. We saw that before too. That's where, you know, we saw Chad patting Lori's butt while they're walking out 
of the storage unit. We saw them roll a Jeep tire in and out of the storage unit. There's all kinds of things there as well. It was weird. And Lori signed it as a different name. And I, I can't remember, but I would wondered if Charles paid for that too, because he paid for the wedding, you know, her fifth wedding while he's gone. And uh, she just puts it on the credit card. So, you know, money, money, money. They talked about a room with Alex's stuff in it, which was quite interesting because Alex should have had the 107, even though they talked in trial that that uh, apartment 175 had Alex's name on it. Interesting again. I had wondered why Lori would have chose 175 sorry, instead of 107 because 107 is actually the nicer apartment. And we know uh, Lori's previous history of nice things. Nothing wrong with wanting nice things, but it just makes you wonder why she chose the lesser. I guess now we know. There's also a suit that was found in the garage. A ghillie suit, I think is what how they pronounced it. It was basically, that's where you camouflage yourself. It was funny because the defense was trying to say to the detective, well, you know, Lori couldn't have worn that, could she have? And he, he just looked at him like, yeah, no, I can't speak to that. I find, um, this is my opinion, but some of the defense attorneys is just painful. It's just painful. I get they have to do their job, but it's always that little extreme. Yeah, so they found rifles, handguns, knives. They found Alex Cox's passport. Interesting, they found emails from Chad Daybell in the garage. So why keep that? That I find interesting. Maybe it's the coded email that I that I said a wee long time ago. Check that out below as well. Uh, um, but maybe that's what it is. They didn't say yet what that e those emails were, but I'm, I'm interested. They found Chad Daybell's books and a cell phone in the garage. Now, then they talked about June 9th, the day the kids were found. And it's absolutely horrific. We've heard these details also in way back in the preliminary hearing. And what's interesting too is let's talk about, well, I won't talk about Lori's demeanor just quite yet, but I will say uh, a lot of people were really angry when we watched Lori in court because they talked about these details and of Tylee and of JJ and she was just seen, Lori was just seen laughing and chuckling and having a grand old time. And so now what's interesting is that her demeanor is changing and what she wanted after some of this testimony was done by Detective Hermosillo, it talked a lot about the gory bits of what, what happened, what transpired, or I guess what, how the kids were found and the details. And then Lori didn't want to be part of it by the time she came back from uh, lunch. And Nate Eaton said something about it too, and I'll scroll to find that information. Uh, talking about a scowl and all this, not her normal behavior, and she wanted to tap out. And the judge actually said, mm, no, you're going to be there. But she wanted to tap out and leave. And this is where we're going to start to see the circus. Um, I've, I'm surprised it only happened on day three that she wanted to tap out, or day two, but that's what happened. And I am surprised. I thought it'd be a little bit longer. Tell me, you know, below what you think if it was going to be a little bit longer, but here we go. So she in her, um, what's the word, Entitle entitlement, wanted to not be there anymore. But the judge finally, thankfully said, yeah, no, you're gonna be there. So they talked about the area where JJ was found in the pond area. They dug up the ground slowly. They found JJ, he was all wrapped in plastic, in a plastic bag. 
he was taped um, his mouth his hands his ankles what really bothers me about that and always has is the fact that his legs and hands were bound and that makes me wonder if he was alive when they taped him up it's a horrific uh, horrific thought but uh, why why else would they do that and the mouth right so that's really troublesome but detective Hermosillo talked about finding JJ and he had been looking for how many months and then finding him there he knew it was JJ and then he took him to the morgue and then came back and then was finding Tylee and what was brutal is that Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline when he went to the pet cemetery that's where they found ty lee he said that's the part where they did the hands and knees and began digging um they said he started to uncover burnt flesh charred bone take and took turns because the smell was so bad and they could only go for a few minutes and they they um, swapped out and they used brushes they said there were bits of pieces of ty lee that had been burned um, globs of flesh that were falling apart and in they had a green bucket and that was belted the green bucket was buried and um, it was awful I mean partial human skull it broke apart and um, they had to pick up the pieces they found teeth and a partial jawbone now what's what I've seen is Lori being jovial in other court hearings talking about their de her, the dead children and now all of a sudden she doesn't want to hear it after three years well guess why I think she doesn't want to hear it now it is now there's a jury to listen to her and the jury who listens to her has to have sympathy for her in her mind right so what better way than to play it up and say I don't I can't go on I want I can't handle this I don't want to listen to it anymore you can listen to it for three and a half years and in my opinion you can plan that for the two years before since 2018 I guess it'd be a year and a half a year and a half uh, before um, and be okay with it and not look for the children or have phone calls from jail with Chad the day that they're finding the children so you know what you can listen to it and you can look at it in my opinion uh, one of the things they talked about there was several layers of duct tape with JJ and that there was visible bruising on his arms which is not uh, not obviously good because that would be occurring before death now when Lori wanted to tap out um, Nate Eaton said that she had a smirk and a scowl which was different than what we're used to because even earlier in the day and on Monday she's happy and jovial and telling jokes as, as usual but the prosecution says uh, she has a right to be present in trial not a right to be not present she says this isn't the first time that this court has dealt with the defendant not wanting to be there or not showing up basically but she says the defendant can't control what happens so it's great 
And then the judge said the presence can and should be required in order to ensure her due process rights and also to ensure a fair trial on behalf of the state. So the request was denied finally. We've heard a lot of things that felt like in Lori's um, favor for the last little bit. So thank goodness that he's like, no, you can sit here and watch. One of the things I do want to say before I talk about a little bit more about uh, these witnesses is just stopping for a moment and talking about the effects, uh, not just on the jury that's watching and having to go through this, but also the first responders, detectives, all these people who are having to deal with this kind of evidence and also being on scene. These are the people that uh, can... You know, it has lasting effects on them. There's a difference also between seeing pictures, in my opinion, and also being there. I know tons and tons and tons of first responders because of my ex-husband. He's a first responder, he's a, a medic, and then I know police officers and all this. So they go through a lot, they internalize a lot, they have a lot of PTSD, and sometimes it doesn't even rear its ugly head until they're retired. But this is uh, something that sometimes people can forget. So I, I, it's just awful. And when this was going on, we also were told that Larry Woodcock, JJ's grandpa, was sobbing through. We saw Kate also, there was an artist in, a, a what do you call him, <laughs> a court artist, and they were doing pictures and they showed Lori even having some Kleenex, whatever, my opinion, and uh, Larry and then Kay. And also, um, you know, I don't want to also discount the prosecution also that has to go through. There's so many people involved in this case, tons and tons in the Daybell case that go through a lot. This is terrible. One of the things that court had to be cut short because there was a death in the family of Lindsay Blake, but they are back in court in uh, today and tomorrow. So at the time of this recording, it's Thursday, April the 13th. I still have to go through today's actual uh, hearing and then I'll give you guys an update. We can discuss the little details because I can input some things there that maybe you don't remember or um, don't know about. So there's not gonna be any court on Monday. So for me, it's a day that I can catch up because holy moly, it has been a task and a half this week for sure. There was the jail call between Lori and Chad that was played. Sergeant Wilmore is a Madison County Jail officer. He was talking about that. And basically in that phone call, Chad was calling Lori and saying they're searching the property. And she goes, the house right now? And he goes, yeah, Mark Means wants to talk to you. That's the old lawyer. That's the one where Lori called him, you know, her blue-eyed baby boy, but he ended up getting off the case. So there was four I love yous I counted. Chad saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, like a kajillion times to Lori. So I don't know, pure love still. They also talked about, there was an officer, Powell, also talking about the exhumation of Tammy Daybell, that they were, you know, tracking Lori and Chad at a Cafe Rio. They're having conversation. They were walking Hobby Lobby, it says, holding hands. They said Tammy was in good health and that um, the only thing that she was being treated for was depression and her hand. And that's pretty much it. And then they talked about the search warrant at Chad's house. So these last couple days have been very interesting. Again, I have to go through today, but this is gonna this is gonna take some time to go through so much information and getting this information 
across so that everybody can understand. I even did a, a video ton, like a while ago on who's who in the zoo because there's so many people. And I think that could even be updated. But there's so many people involved in so much information that this is going to take 10 weeks. I'm surprised it's not longer, to be honest. But what do you think about Lori and her actions? I mean, to me, after three and a half years of the same type of Lori, and then all of a sudden it seems like the show, you know, the show's on where she has to show that she has a heart so that she can get this is the manipulation so that she can get the jury on her side. I find this, mm, I find it inauthentic, let's just say. What do you think? Let me know below. I'll try and get faster updates out to you. It's been a little bit of trying to navigate these things. If you would like to help in any ways, please let me know below. I could always use a hand, even if it's just to help me with some of the information or condense it. I'm basically working around the clock. I, I, my assistant's not here this week and I'm doing, you know, two trials listening to on two times the speed and trying to also record and I do have some help editing, but some days I don't. So it's been crazy. If you'd like to help, I would appreciate it. Just let me know below, or you can email me at itsacrimeandashame at gmail.com. I would very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching. Keep checking back. I always have a video coming out every week or more. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next video.